Greetings, friends, fellow citizens, and fellow patriots, and welcome to this edition of the We the People News and Opinion uh, podcast. My name is Tom Zawistowski, and I'm the president of the We the People Convention and the host of this podcast. We're recording today on Saturday, March 27th, uh, 2021, and we're thanking you for joining us. Uh, we certainly appreciate uh, everyone that tunes in each week. And uh, we hope that, uh, you know, if you're new to the show, that you'll really uh, like what you hear because you will get news and opinion here that you don't get really anywhere else. And that is kind of our, our goal. Uh, it is a news summary program. Our, our goal is to look at the news that's going on this week and then decide which things to talk about because they affect our individual liberty and freedom and prosperity. Uh, that's that's really what this is all about, is us protecting our rights and our future. And so thank you for joining us. Uh, as, you, as many of you who watch the show regularly know, last week I announced that I am going to have uh, aortic heart valve surgery here soon. Looks like probably right after Easter. And I want to thank everybody who sent uh, notes uh, and wishes and, and good wishes and mostly prayers. Uh, thank you to all of you. We, we greatly appreciate them. Uh, you know, I've been going through testing all week. And uh, the good news is like the, the, my heart catheterization uh, went really well and I do not need any bypasses or any stents or anything like that. So the rest of my heart seems to be checking out well and that's really good news. And I've gotten notes from so many of you who've been through this, who had really much more serious condition than I've been having. And uh, it really, you know, the fact that you got through it okay and that you were encouraging me has been very beneficial to me. So, so thank you for all of that. I really appreciate it. So now let's get on with the show, and we've got some very important things. This first part is, is I just don't think we talked enough about it. I want you to understand that what's about to happen, which is this vote on this uh, House Bill 1 and Senate Bill 1 in the federal government, is really going to change America if it passes. And so I've got a clip that's on the website at wethepeopleconvention.org, and, you know, uh, that I just think we all need to hear what Senator Ted Cruz has to say about how important this bill is. So this is a rather lengthy video. It's about five minutes, I think. And um, But I think it's that important that I play it for you at the top of the show. And then we discuss what we're going to try to do to help defeat this, this horrific you know, bill. Let's listen to what Ted Cruz has to say. I just came from the Rules Committee hearing on the Corrupt Politicians Act. This is the most dangerous legislation that's ever been considered by the Rules Committee. It is in the House H.R. 1, it is in the Senate S. 1. That means it's the very first bill that was submitted by Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats, the very first bill that was submitted by Chuck Schumer and the Democrats. It is their number one priority. Pause for a minute and reflect that the top priority of the Democrats is not COVID-19. It's not immunizations. It's not getting people back to work. It's not reopening schools and getting millions of kids back in the classroom. It is locking in power for the Democrats for the next 100 years. That is their overarching priority. How does it do this? The Corrupt Politicians Act mandates automatic voter registration whenever anyone has an interaction with the government, whether they have an interaction getting a welfare check, an unemployment check, whether they have a driver's license from the DNV, whether they attend a public university, everyone is registered. This bill is intended to and will register to vote millions of illegal aliens. 
That is exactly what the Democrats want to do with this bill, is register millions of illegal aliens. And the text of the bill acknowledges that, and it says the illegal aliens who are registered to vote, even though it's against the law for them to vote, they face no liability because they're automatically registered to vote. Not only that, this bill prevents the states from addressing that, from correcting the voter rolls, prevents the states from removing dead people from the voter rolls to facilitate voter fraud. Not only that, this bill mandates that criminals be allowed to vote, that all felons, many states have very reasonable laws that prohibit felons from voting. The Democrats repeal every one of those laws. They mandate that murderers, that rapists, that child molesters be allowed to vote. Now, the reason the Democrats do that is they've made the determination that if millions of illegal aliens and millions of criminals are allowed to vote, that those voters are going to vote for Democrats. And they're going to keep Democrats in power forever. Beyond that, this bill strikes down the election integrity laws at the state level across the board. Photo ID laws, voter identification laws. 29 states have voter identification laws. By the way, about 80% of Americans support voter identification laws. The Corrupt Politicians Act strikes every one of those down. Among the states that have voter identification laws are Georgia, Arizona, and West Virginia. All three of those states have Democratic senators in this body. Those Democratic senators are saying to their states they're willing to strike down the voter identification laws that were adopted in those states. This bill mandates ballot harvesting, paid operatives from the Democratic National Committee collecting votes, going to a nursing home, collecting hundreds of votes, potentially throwing out the votes they don't like. It is an invitation to corruption. You know, in 2005, the Carter-Baker Commission was chaired by Democratic President Jimmy Carter, by Republican former Secretary of State James Baker, concluded that ballot harvesting poses a serious risk of voter fraud. So what does the Corrupt Politicians Act do? It incorporates it. Beyond that, this bill is also welfare for politicians. It provides a six-to-one match, federal taxpayer dollars going to politicians to fund their campaigns, hundreds of millions of dollars of federal money going to fund campaigns. And you know what this bill also says? The corrupt politicians can pay themselves a salary from the money from the federal government while they're running for office. This bill is of the Democrats, by the Democrats, and for the Democrats. It is designed to keep them in power. And a final point, for 50 years, the Federal Election Commission has been bipartisan. Three Republicans, three Democrats. That has ensured some modicum of fairness. What does this bill do? It turns the Federal Election Commission into a partisan attack machine. Ask yourself right now, if Democrats have control of the Federal Election Commission, if Chuck Schumer is in charge of elections, you have Republican senators here, I can guarantee you every Republican senator is getting fined by the Chuck Schumer Federal Election Commission. Every Republican senator is getting sued by the Chuck Schumer Federal Election Commission. Every Republican senator is getting targeted. Why? This is not remotely an election integrity bill. This is a bill designed to steal your vote, to take it away and to give it to millions of illegal immigrants and criminals. And it is a fundamental threat to our democracy. Well, there you have it. It can't be any more clear than that.
and it's on the website at wethepeopleconvention.org so you can go watch it again. You can then, the share buttons are right there on the page so you can share this with family and friends. Everyone needs to understand that the Democrat communists, right? They call themselves Democrat socialists. They're Democrat communists. They are going for broke, ladies and gentlemen. They're trying to make us California where it's a one-party system. That's what this is all about. And we cannot let it pass. Now, we've talked about the fact that uh, we need to filibuster this and that Joe Manchin has said, you know, that he uh, is not going to support the filibuster. Well, you know, it's interesting this week that Joe Biden offered Joe Manchin's wife a job in the administration, right? Yeah, see, it doesn't matter. Whatever it takes. And so they're talking now about the talking filibuster. And this is the thing I talked to you about last week where Manchin's saying, well, I don't want to get rid of the filibuster, but instead of the gentleman's filibuster, where you just declare a filibuster and people accept the fact that you're, you know, you're going to talk until you drop the bill, they're saying, maybe we'll make you talk. Well, now they found out that, you know what? Having people talk for hours on end, days on end, maybe weeks on end, about how bad this is for America probably would be painful for the Democrats. So now they're trying to find out ways to get around even that. So, you know, I talked to you about calling Manchin, and I finally got the information, thanks to one of our listeners, the the Democratic senator in uh, Arizona is called Cinema, and she has also said that she would not before getting rid of the filibuster. Uh, Manchin's phone number in Washington, get a pen, write it down, okay, is 202-224-3954. And Cinema's phone number in Washington is 202-224-4521. Let me repeat those for you. Manchin is 202-224-3954. And cinema is uh, 202-224-4521. And we need to call them, right? We need to call them. Now, on Hannity Thursday night, I heard something that I hadn't heard before. And that is that the Republicans could stop this if all 50 of them don't show up, that there's not a quorum and the Senate could not hold anything. Now, I've been trying to look into that more. And I don't know if that's true or I don't know if it, you know why they'd bring it up if it wasn't true. But the bottom line is the Republicans have to do whatever they can. They have to do everything they can, not whatever they can. They must stop this because, I mean, you heard the list from, from Cruz. Everybody's, you know, the 10, 20, 30 million illegal aliens that are in our country who are not citizens, therefore they are not eligible to vote, they will get registered to vote and they will vote. They are basically legalizing. Their goal is to legalize all the fraud that they conducted in this election. Because they know, and I'm going to talk later in the show, about the fact that we're stopping this and we're taking action and they're not going to have the ability to continue this. All right? So they're going for broke. We had power. We would not do what we could do. 
we had, you know, we had these bizarre ideas that the people we were fighting, you know, the Democrats, socialists, communists, were Americans. They're not Americans. They hate America. And, and they're trying to take over our country. This is a coup. It's been a coup for four years, and, and then they just stole the election, and now they got phony Joe pretending to be president and phony Kamala pretending to be vice president, and it's a TV show. Biden came to uh, Columbus, Ohio this week to for the 10th anniversary, 10-year anniversary of Obamacare. They had like 25 people greet him. The guy supposedly got 81 million votes. It's all a fraud. They're stealing our country. We've got to stop them. And if this HR1 goes through, folks, you're going to hear me talking about you know us leaving the union across the country because we're not going to live in, in a one-party rule nation, okay? We're not going to just completely forget about the Constitution. So we'll see what happens. This is going to happen this week. So go back to We the People Convention website, WeThePeopleConvention.org, and watch this video because it's really important for everyone, every American, to understand what's going to happen if this bill passes. It is not, they call it the We the People bill right? They're just liars. It's just like Cruz said, it's it's by the Democrats for the Democrats. It has anything to do with the people. They are, want to rule over us, rule over us, not represent us. And that's what this bill's about. So make your phone calls to Manchin and Cinema, okay? And call your senator, anybody that's got a Republican senator, you got to call them up and say, you got to do whatever it takes to stop this. Whatever it takes, this cannot pass. And what happens here is going to really just determine how the rest of this plays out. Because I guarantee you, if they win this one, the gun bill, the you know the the quote unquote equity bill, you know all these other things that they want to do, they're just going to fall like dominoes, and our country is going to be gone. We're that close, folks. We're that close to losing our country. So let me go to another story that I thought was really important. I sent it out. I got a great response. And that was that the um, American Psychological Association, uh, you know, did a survey of, finally did a survey of some of the effects of the shutdowns. The American Psychological Association uh, found alarming results regarding Americans' ability to manage stress, citing rising levels of alcohol consumption, weight gain, and mental health issues within the last year. 12 months into the pandemic, the APA survey, which was conducted in late February and released earlier this month, attempted to chronicle the effects of the Wuhan coronavirus on U.S. adult population. The results depict a growing health crisis of stress and devastating effects of COVID lockdowns on Americans across the country. The survey found 61% of respondents experienced undesired weight change, with the average of those who gained weight being 29 pounds, the average of 61% of Americans gained 29 pounds. And the average who lost weight lost 26 pounds. Most notably, millennials, young people, folks, they gained 41 pounds. That's what I call stress. That's what I call stress. They also reported dramatic changes in sleeping and drinking habits and noted that 67% have been sleeping either more or less than they desired, and 25% have been consuming more alcohol to cope with the stress of the pandemic. 
Uh, they had some charts that I'll show you. This is a chart about parents, and this is really disturbing. It really is. Uh, parents' mental physical health impacts since the start of the pandemic. 75% say they could have used more emotional support than they received. 32% received treatment from a mental health professional, and 24% were diagnosed with a mental health disorder since the pandemic started. My God, my God, 32% of parents sought mental health treatment. Did any of these governors, any of these bureaucrats give a damn about them? Did they care? I don't think they did care. And then they had this other chart that I thought was interesting. And it had to do with these quote-unquote essential workers. One in four essential workers diagnosed with mental health disorder since the start of the pandemic. 75% said they could have used more emotional support than they received. 34% received treatment from a mental health professional. 34% of these essential workers said they received help from a mental health professional. It's unbelievable. And, and this, and, and so, you know, you saw the stories that came out about um, what was the real, you know, damage as far as deaths from COVID. And it looks like from what I can see, and again, it's clear as mud. And I blame the CDC and I blame the government because they are purposely making this so hard for any of us to really understand. And then they want to accuse us of, of you know, spreading propaganda or disinformation or misinformation. Okay, but even the statistics of the deaths in 2020 are still being played with. Right now, it looks like about 3.1 million Americans died in 2020. That's up from like 2.85, uh, 2.850,000 in 2019. That's a significant increase. So there's no doubt that there was a you know increase in deaths from COVID. But what about the other deaths? Okay, in other words, of that difference of like 400,000, how many of those were drug overdoses? How many of those were suicides? We, we know the suicide rate is up like 71%. Like 100,000 of those are suicides. We know that drug abuse is way up. When are they going to show us that data? Because that's the real story of what happened. But you can't expect to get the real story when you got phonies like phony Joe the, you know, Biden using his cheat sheet at his uh, press conference. I mean, the guy doesn't have a press conference, so they get forced into having him. What does he do? You know, he's looking at little index cards. They they have the, the these people picked out who are going to speak, right? Uh, you know, that he's going to call upon to give him softball questions. Yeah, the whole issue, COVID. COVID is the issue, right? Not one question about COVID. He opened up with a statement about how we're getting more people vaccinated and everything's great. Not one question about COVID. Yeah, almost no questions about the border crisis. And he said, this is seasonal. Oh, I'm not causing anything. Every year, it's, it's like, you know, spring flowers growing up. People just flood the border. He's a liar. Why would you watch a press conference by someone who's going to lie to your face. Who's not going to just lie to your face. He's going to premeditate the lie. He and his staff are going to work on how they're going to lie to you before they lie to you. So here's pictures that, that he wouldn't want to discuss of thousands of children locked in cages 
quote unquote, to use their term, that he will not even say is happening. And then when the press finally asks a tough question, like, hey, when are we going to get access to this? We used to have access to this. He said, when I fix it. So you're not going to see what's really going on. We're not going to show you until we fix it. Yeah, that's called lack of transparency, right? That's called cover-up. And that's what's going on here, folks. It's a cover-up. It's a disaster on a border. And then he had the, the temerity, he had the gall to say that nothing's changed. The border is closed and nothing's changed from the previous administration. Except for, how about catch and release, Joe? How about when Trump got rid of what you and Obama did to bring millions of illegals into our country from 2008 to 2016, where they came in the border and they don't try to run away and hide. They walk right up to the ICE you know, officers and say, I seek asylum. And, they, and now what do they do with the, the Biden administration? Yeah, the fake Biden administration? They don't even process them. They just let them in the country. They Usually they had to set a court date or they had to sign some documents they would promise to come back to court. Now they're just giving them $1,100 of our money, putting them on buses or even airplanes and shipping them anywhere they want to the United States. It's a free pass. Hey, Joe, Trump didn't do that. You're doing that. You're a liar. And the other things that they're lying about, about how, oh, they, they care so much, right? Let's talk a little bit about COVID. There was a, you know, a study that came out that talked about how in democratic states, minorities, you know, blacks and Hispanics, suffered dramatically worse than they did in Republican states. In California, uh, let's see, Latinos are 39% of the population and they were 55% of the COVID deaths. In New York, blacks are only 14% of the population and 23% of the COVID deaths. But in Florida, where uh, blacks are 15% of the population, they were only 16% of the deaths. And where Hispanics are 26% of the population, they were only 24% of the deaths. Meaning that in Republican states, in conservative states, they got treated the same as everybody. What's going on in the democratic states? Yeah, racism, prejudice, discrimination. Jew was out to speak that Como, as soon as the vaccine came out, was making sure that his family got vaccinated first. His family and, and billionaires and people he knew who donated to him. Yeah. But, but we're the bad guys. We're the bad guys. And then the media, you know, at the press conference, the media is sitting there, you know, looking like a bunch of fools. The room is, there's, there's not, I don't think there was 30 media people in there. Fox News didn't get called on. There was no one even in the room for One America News. And Biden only called on a handful of them. They're all spread out, treating Biden, you know, with kid gloves because they know he can't handle it, right? And they're the ones who are responsible for this situation particularly the the panic porn of COVID, the panic porn of COVID. Here's a poll that came out that was very interesting. See, because we're the stupid ones, don't you know? 
yeah, we're the hicks. We're the people out in the Midwest who are just a bunch of rubes, right? We don't have a degree from Harvard, do we? No. But here's a poll that says, what are the chances somebody with COVID must be hospitalized? The correct answer, okay, is 1% to 5%. And if you look at this chart that I'm showing on the screen, the Democrats, only 10% of Democrats got that right. 41% of the Democrats think that if you had COVID, you had to be hospitalized 50% of the time. In other words, they thought that 50% of the people who got COVID had to be hospitalized. 41% of Democrats believe that when only 28% of Republicans did. And 26% of Republicans got the answer correct. One to 5% of the people that got COVID had to be hospitalized. That's what happened. And independents were better than Democrats. 20% of them got it right compared to 10% of Democrats. But 35% of independents still thought that 50% of the people who got COVID had to be hospitalized. And interesting with the, uh, the Democrats and the uh, uh, independents, if you add it together, 60, 70%, 70% of Democrats thought that between 20 and 50% of people who got COVID had to be hospitalized, 70%. That's why we're in the situation we're in. Because people were panicked with lies, with lies about the seriousness. We now know, we got all the bloody data. The fact of the matter is, your chance of dying from COVID, if you were under 65, is less than 1%. Your chance of dying from COVID, if you're over 65, is about 1.5, 1.7, something like that. About the same as the bloody flu. And the, and the statistics about the number of deaths last year, a lot of them are elderly people who probably didn't die of COVID. They died of cancer or a heart attack or whatever. And COVID may have played a role in making them die sooner. That's why the increase from the previous year. And it's a tragedy because people like Cuomo and Whitmer in Michigan and Newsom in Florida and California did not take care of seniors. This is a total public policy fail. And in Cuomo's case, and in Whitmer's case, and in Pennsylvania, there's criminal aspects to this. God willing, we're going to see that carried out and these people are going to be prosecuted. Because what they did was a crime. We did not handle this well, and we still aren't handling it well. We still aren't telling the truth. And that's why, you know, they, they've still got, you know, school kids not going to school. And, they, and California is still masking up. It's good to see Ducey in Arizona get rid of the mask order. In Ohio, our, our legislature finally overrode Governor Democrat DeWine's veto and, and passed a bill to help rein in the emergency powers of the health department and the governor. But it took him a year to do it. We're still under this, you know, uh, restaurants are at 25 or 50% capacity. You know, the, the, the sports teams can't have people in. There's no documentation. There's no evidence that that's necessary. But at least they passed the bill. At least Arizona moved in the right direction. But this has got to stop. These people did a horrible job. And history will show that. This is the biggest failure of public policy in American history.
All right, going to take a short break. You're listening to the We the People Convention News and Opinion podcast, and my name is Tom Zawistowski. The We the People Convention News and Opinion radio program is paid for by donors like you. You can donate to the We the People Convention and support our cause by going to wethepeopleconvention.org or by sending your check in any amount to We the People Convention, P.O. Box 6211, Akron, Ohio, 44312. Okay, and we're back, and we're glad you're with us. We're glad you've joined us. I hope that you uh, are getting uh, our emails and our text messages. If you don't get them, go to wethepeopleconvention.org and right on the front page, put in your email, put in your uh, your phone number. The texts get through a lot better than the emails. That's why I asked for both of them. And thank you to everyone who donates to the We The People Convention. We actually had a person who we've known for a long time donate his entire $1,400 economic stimulus bill, uh, our, our stimulus check to the We The People Convention. Can't thank him enough. Can't thank all of you who donate, whether it's $5 or it's $500. Thank you for everything. You make it possible for us to have this program and to do the things that we do. So, you know, thank you for all of that. All right, on to another important topic. This is really important to me and I think all of you. And that is the FBI and the DOJ are starting to walk back the trumped-up charges they have made about um, the, you know, the events on January 6th in uh, in the people that they've arrested for that. Okay, and I think you know, th- th- I printed an article, you know, that is on the WeThePeopleConvention.org page where uh, Jim Hoff from Gateway Pundit wrote a story that I want to just read to you because I think it's that important. Our DOJ and FBI could not be more corrupt. These government organizations no longer include people of honor. This is Obama, Obama Biden's America. We wrote for years about the Mueller sham, the attempted coup of President Trump from a gang of political hacks within the DOJ and the FBI. It is frightening to admit that this was where our country had gone. But after eight years of the Obama administration, it seemed like everything was significantly more corrupt. We sat and watched as the DOJ held pressers announcing Russians had been indicted. These Russians were associated with the president, but it was all a lie. We don't even know if the Russians are um, real people and still don't. It's highly probable that they are not, because basically everything was made up. Um, the entire Russian conspiracy was just an Obama operation intended to harass and remove a great president from office, illegally using any means necessary, and that continues today. Everything is political at the DOJ in America, and America-loving, God-fearing, hard-working, free men and women are now the main enemy of this unlawful gang. So as the elections came and went and words got great, world's greatest fraud ever was perpetrated, the villains in the eyes of the DOJ were not the fraudsters, not the people connected uh, who did election fraud. It was those Americans who knew the 2020 election was stolen. People forgot that many Americans on January 6th in Washington, D.C. and around the country felt that Vice President Pence had a duty to have the election investigated and certainly would order that during the day with the opportunity he had to do so. But that was not the case. Pence was part of the plan. This is from Jim Moff at Gateway Pundit. Trump supporters were tar- the target, like the Trump team in the Mueller witch hunt. Over the following months, Antifa was ignored and pardoned by the FBI and DOJ, and innocent Trump supporters became targets. The Trump supporters were accused of being armed, but there is no evidence of this and more. Crazy accusations were made by the DOJ. Multiple arrests were made, some of which Reuters reported are now reversed. 
Here's what writers had to say. Prosecutors made some serious claims after the deadly U.S. Capitol attack, saying that they had evidence rioters planned to kill elected officials, suggesting a Virginia man at the building received directives to gas lawmakers, and accusing another suspect of direct mayhem, directing mayhem on January 6th with encrypted messages. But the Justice Department has since acknowledged in court hearings that some of its evidence concerning the riot called out by a mob of supporters of President Trump to try to overturn the election laws is less damning than indicated initially. The department suffered another blow this week when U.S. District Judge Emmett Mehta threatened to impose a gag order on prosecutors after Michael Sherwin, its former head prosecutor of the Capitol cases, told CBS's 60 Minutes that evidence pointed towards sedition charges against some of the defendants, an outright lie. A charge of sedition, meaning incitement of a rebellion, has not been brought against any of the more than 400 people arrested to date. The most serious charges have been assault, conspiracy, and obstruction of Congress or law enforcement. Prosecutors are in the early stages of building criminal cases ahead of trials stemming from an attack that left five people dead, including a police officer. But missteps by the government could harm its credibility as the accused ringleaders begin asking courts to drop some of the most serious charges. So just today came a story that said prosecutors pursuing the massive investigation into the Capitol riots suffered a setback Friday as federal appeals courts ruled that two defendants currently in pretrial detention may be entitled to release. The ruling from the district uh, D.C. court, the D.C. Circuit Court, its first in the sprawling set of cases stemming from the January 6th storming of the Capitol, has been eagerly awaited by prosecutors and defense leaders, lawyers as a signal of how the appeals court plans to grapple with those events. Let's see here. Let me get past the advertisement if I can. The appeals court held that a mother and son charged in a riot, Lisa Eisenhart and Eric Munchell, may not need to be jailed in advance of their trial because any danger they posed during the assault in the Capitol was unique to the Electoral College certification that took place that day and has been dismissed since. The district court failed to demonstrate that it considered the specific circumstances that made it possible on January 6th for Munchen and Eisenhardt to threaten the peaceful transfer of power, Judge Roger Robert Wilkins wrote in a 21-page opinion. The appellants had a unique opportunity to obstruct democracy on January 6th, but because they can't do that now, there's no reason to hold them. They did not vandalize any property or commit violence. The presence of the group was critical to their ability to obstruct the vote and to cause danger to the community. Without it, Munchell and Eisenhardt, two individuals who did not engage in any violence or were not involved in the planning or courting activities, seemingly would have posed little threat. The appeals court majority you know, did not explicitly say they should be released, but basically said they should be released along with others who are similarly charged. This is important, folks, and, they, and they, this is how corrupt the DOJ is. Listen to this. This is just amazing. This is a story that I found in the American Liberty Report. And it basically says Democrats use obscure law. They protested to jail capital protesters. And basically what they've been doing is they've been using a law. Uh, let's see here. Da, 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 da. You've, uh, you've probably heard that most of the jailed January 6th protesters have been charged with obstruction of an official proceeding. That science sounds kind of vague, but close enough to the mark that no reporter will look into the actual statute, and most people won't stop to question it. The law comes from 18 U.S.C. 1512, Section 1512, and it has nothing to do with obstructing the official business of Congress through protesting. The law comes from the Sarbanes-Oxley Act. The statute being used in the Capitol protest reads, 
whoever corruptly obstructs, influences, or impedes any official proceeding or attempts to do shall, shall be fined under this title of imprisonment not more than 20 years or both. Since Democrats are sloppy, English, uh, sloppy with English are terrible at lawyering, this is one of the most fun moments in U.S. history when a Democrat-controlled Senate wrote, amended, and passed a bill which they made their own that's basically made them scared after they pass it. This goes back, folks, to the Enron scandal. And they passed a bill that basically said that you could not try to uh, influence or obstruct uh, any kind of official proceeding, like through the IRS, okay? But this bill doesn't even... you know, relate to the IRS. It even says, so So basically they passed this in the Sarbanes-Axley Act, this thing that said if you obstruct you know, uh, official proceedings, you could be charged. When George uh, Bush signed it, George W. Bush signed it, he said that the bill would have, would have also allowed someone who acted in good attorney to clarify the, I'm sorry. Instead, Bush made an announcement on signing the summary for the Sarbanes Act. He made a, a little promise that the word corruptly in the statute would only be interpreted by Justice Department as with criminal intent. Peaceful protests could still protest, protesters could still protest his fascism without fear of 20 years in prison. And the words, any official proceeding, were not meant to include sessions of Congress, the Supreme Court, or other government proceedings. Just to be clear, Sarbanes actually is a set of laws directed at white-crawler criminals, and, and, and that's the bottom line. So they're using a law that, when it was signed, they said did not a, a, apply to obstruction of uh, Congress, sessions of Congress, the Supreme Court, or government proceedings, and that's the law they're using to charge these people at the Capitol. And they think they're going to get away with this, but they're not. But they're going to take a lot of their money. They're going to steal because we're, we're paying for lawyers. I know many of you have given money to some of these people to help them pay for lawyers. We've done that. This is how really just despicable the DOJ and the FBI have been. They, they're just they're just doing this for political purposes. And we've got to stop them. So I had a conversation with a major law firm in D.C., in their national, a national law firm, about creating a, a, uh, a legal defense fund to try to help bring some justice to these poor people that are being charged. Why are they being held in D.C.? There's federal courts all over the country. These people most are being charged with trespassing. It's a misdemeanor. Why are they transferring them all the way to D.C.? Because they want to intimidate them. That's why. And so they're being treated differently, differently than Antifa and BLM who got arrested and who killed people, more than five people, burned entire cities, billions of dollars of damages, rioted. They got arrested and were just let out on bail. Now, I did see something that was good to see this week, that Kenosha, Wisconsin, has filed charges against 44 of the rioters this week after, what, six months, right, against some of the protesters. But they didn't put them in jail six months ago and hold them like they're doing with our people. I talked all last year about equal justice under the law. Without equal justice under the law, we are not a country at all. And we are not a country at all. And the FBI and the DOJ are totally corrupt. And that's why we're not a country anymore. They've completely gone woke. 
and they're a joke and it's disgusting. But guess what? So is our military now. Our military. Tucker Carlson had a very devastating show. I think it was Friday night about the military. So I'm going to play you a series of videos because this is where the corruption is spread and we got to face it. So this is about uh, the, our military and what they're doing with wokeness. Sat through the military's training on how to root out extremism. He was brave enough to write an op-ed about it for Newsweek. He explained exactly what the military is teaching its soldiers. The training that he went to warns members of the military to be on the lookout for anyone with, quote, anti-government, anti-authority, or abortion-related ideologies. Right. If you're not for abortion, you can't serve in the military. Now, the training doesn't define those terms, but everyone gets the point. Soldiers are told to simply turn in anyone they expected of being a, quote, extremist. It's hard to believe it's real, but it is. Aaron Reitz joins us with more on that training, which is still going on right now. Uh, Aaron Reitz, I appreciate your coming on today. Really brave Thanks, of you and a service to the country to write this piece. Tell us what you saw. Sure. So let me be clear, Tucker, right off the bat, that our military is chock full of real patriots and real heroes. But the military's yes. leadership class and anyone who aspires to be a part of it appears to be given over wholly to this weak, un-American, woke progressivism. Uh, and this extremism training that the military and, frankly, all 1.4 million members of the Department of Defense are currently being subjected to is just the latest instance of that agenda. Now, during your opening monologue, you went through the whole litany of how China is expanding its military, becoming more belligerent, and in fact, even imposing masculinity training. Get that. Meanwhile, right. the American military's top brass is talking about putting pregnant women into combat, expanding its use of race and gender-based quotas, uh, it, putting a diversity uh, and inclusion officer at the top of our special forces. Uh, and so what you have right now is President Biden, his top generals, looking at an ascendant Russia and China, de uh, a lack of stability in the Middle East, a crisis on the border, nuclear uh, North Korea. And they're thinking, you know what we need more of? We need extremism training. It's absolutely absurd. What, what I was so struck by in your op-ed is that you spoke up against it as an American, as someone who knows how impressive so many of our military members are. I mean, that's what's so upsetting about this. They're not wrecking the DMV. Who cares? This is real and there are great people in right. it. Why are you almost alone in saying anything about this? Where are all the generals? Where are the colonels, really? I mean, there's some really smart, good people. Why aren't they saying anything? Look, a lot of these guys are looking at a Biden administration, and what do they have their eyes on? They have their eyes on the next star. And so in order to join those upper echelons of a Biden administration or democratically controlled executive branch is falling into lockstep with whatever that ideology is. But I got to tell you, Tucker, after publishing that article, I've received tremendous outpouring of support uh, via email, private messages, and so forth among the ranks. So I derive a lot of optimism from those guys, even though when I think about some of the top Biden supporting uh, top echelons of our military. The future is not very bright, but I'm still fairly optimistic. So there you have, you know, his take on our military and that, as he said, while China preps to defeat us in every way possible, we are most concerned about what, you know, your wokeness, you know, we're, we're, we're doing a purge. We are on a stand down for 60 days to investigate whether our people 
have uh, you know posted anything about uh, conservatism, about abortion, for God's sake, right? Our government—it's not—it's not against the law for a soldier to believe that abortion is wrong. You have a right to do that, and what they're doing is just—it's just disgusting. And and we're going to have to fight back against this, and and I'm going to tell you how in a second. So Tucker went on to tell us about this other uh, you know situation, which which you know they're doing this training. Right, they're training our our people, and and I'm going to show you that, and then we're going to talk about how wrong they are and how we're going to respond. So watch this video; so it's much shorter. What you're seeing is a political purge of the military. Consider what has been happening during the military's training on quote extremism. A lot of enlisted soldiers have asked a pretty basic question: Hey, wait a minute, weren't the BLM and Antifa rioters this summer extremists? Seems like they were. They murdered people. They murdered a lot more people than died at the Capitol on January 6th. A lot more. They burned businesses. They wrecked cities. In some places, it took the National Guard to stop them. So why aren't these people, quote, extremists? Hmm, good question. Well, a man called Ramon Colon Lopez was called in to explain why, to tell the troops why they were wrong. Colon Lopez is the senior enlisted advisor to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. These questions, he conceded, are, quote, coming from every echelon that we're talking to. Some people may think, all right, so the events of 6th of January happened. How come you're not looking at the situation that was going on in Seattle prior to that? Well, yeah, exactly. Kind of an obvious question. Well, Ramon Colon Lopez has an answer. Actually, it's more of a threat. Quote, I am concerned about the way that some people are looking at the current environment. And what they are thinking, they can do and act upon based upon their personal beliefs. Oh, in other words, if you ask questions like these obvious questions, you are by definition dangerous. Colon Lopez said he was working hard to, quote, make sure that military members understand the difference between Seattle and Washington, D.C. All right, what are those differences exactly? Well, here's one. BLM, Colon Lopez explained, is a, quote, social injustice organization, and therefore it's not extreme. Also, quote, when the military called upon us to go ahead and support an effort in Washington, we did. We never got called for the law enforcement issue that was happening in Seattle. Oh, so the mayor of Seattle never called the National Guard to put down Antifa. Therefore, Antifa is not an extremist organization. Well, that's ludicrous, obviously. In fact, it's not even true. Actually, the National Guard did deploy to Seattle during the riots last summer. But whatever. Colon Lopez's job isn't to make sense. It's to send a political message from the Joe Biden administration. We're in charge now. Yeah, we're in charge now. Fools are in charge now. That, that's what that means. And I'm going to prove it to you right now, because as he said, you know, Ramon Colon Lopez said that, uh, you know, BLM is a social injustice organization, right? Right? Isn't that what he just said? Yeah, well, here, here's, the, here's the leader of Black Lives Matter. Tell, tell, she's going to tell Mr. Lopez exactly what she is. First thing I think is that we actually do have an ideological frame. Um, myself and Alicia in particular are trained organizers. Um, we uh, are trained Marxists. Um, we are uh, super uh, versed um, on sort of ideological theories. And I think that what we really try to do is build a movement that could be utilized by many, many black folk. Yeah, utilized. She's a trained Marxist, Ramon Colon Lopez. She's a trained Marxist, and, and she's going to train blacks 
right, that who can be utilized. Utilized for what? What What is it going to be utilized for? Well, maybe this is your answer. Well, listen carefully. Caught on tape actually saying, watch. Hi, everyone. As many of you know, my name is Lilith Sinclair. I'm an Afro-Indigenous, non-binary local organizer here in Portland, organizing for the abolition of not just the militarized police state, but also the United States as we know it. Yeah, she's tr saying that their goal is the abolition of the United States as we know it. Geez, that sounds like that's sedition, doesn't it, Mr. Lopez? So maybe we need to send him a message. And so I'm asking all of you, again, if, I, if you can grab a pen, all right, on the screen, you'll see, here's his address. Staff Sergeant Ramon Colon Lopez, Senior Enlisted Advisor to the Chairman at, at the Pentagon, the address is 1400 Defense Pentagon. I believe me, that's the actual address. 1400 Defense Pentagon, Washington, D.C., 20301-1400. Now, you can back up the video and, and, and look at this address again and write it down. And I suggest that you write to uh, Staff Sergeant Lopez, Colon Lopez. And you make it clear to him, he needs to apologize to every one of our military members for basically lying to them that Black Lives Matter is a social injustice organization. If you need more evidence, just go to wethepeopleconvention.org and, and click on the search box and just type in BLM. And you'll see an article that says, don't support BLM. And there's links that link to their website and linked to other stories that show that they came out of the communist movement and they're a bunch of communists. Staff Sergeant Ramon Colon Lopez, stop lying to our troops. All of you vets, I want you to write to him. Here's his address again. I want you to write to them and say he has a, he has a duty to protect and defend the United States of America against enemies, foreign and domestic, Guess what? Black Lives Matter is a domestic threat to the United States of America, and he's derelict in his duty. And you need to call him out, and you need to write to him and tell him so. This is nonsense. And then you know, what we're going to do about the Chinese, I have no idea, because Joe Biden, every person he appoints, is paid money by the Chinese. We're in serious trouble, folks. And we're, we're fighting back the best we can. And we are scoring some victories. But it's not, it's, it's never going to be easy. It's going to be hard. And like I said to you last week, you know, generals don't win wars. It's the soldiers that win their one-on-one -on -one battles. I'm asking you to fight and win the one-on-one -on -one battles. And so this week again, you and I were attacked. All the media, I talked last week about the, the, you know, the, the, the mass murder in Atlanta of the Chinese prostitutes. Okay. And, oh, that was because we call it the Wuhan or the China virus. See, don't you know? And, and Joe Biden and Kamala the commie Harris, you know, were out there, China Joe Biden, saying how America's just always been racist and this just proves it. And it's all white people. Nobody else is racist. It's just white people. Yeah. So, so we had a shooting in Colorado this week. Yeah, what happened there? Well, you know, everybody was giddy. Couldn't wait to report that a white guy Killed 10 people in Boulder, Colorado. Yeah, until it turned out that he wasn't necessarily a white guy. 
He's a 21-year-old Syrian refugee named Ahmad al-Awali Alisa, who killed 10 people. And all of a sudden, guess what? It just disappeared from the news. Just couldn't hear anything about it. Right, couldn't hear anything about it. Well, you're going to enjoy this little piece because you didn't see this on the news, but this is what you need to understand. This is how being woke is such a joke. Combating whiteness, Boulder, Colorado has imported Syrian refugees like Ahmad Alassi since 2015. Liberal activists, this is from nationalfile.com, liberal activists lamented the city's crushingly white demographics, and the city council strove to fix the whiteness problem by importing Syrian Muslims, the Syrian Muslim who murdered 10 people in their town. The city of Boulder, Colorado, was recently rocked by a mass murder at a local supermarket that took the lives of 10 people. The suspects police have arrested in connection uh, to the murders of a Syrian man named Amal, Ahmad al-Isa, who has a history of complaining about racist white people and cultural insensitivity. Okay? For nearly a decade, liberal activists have focused on the alleged problem of whiteness within Boulder and have sought to increase the city's diversity. In 2015, liberal foundations in Boulder began to stress the importance of welcoming Syrian immigrants, celebrating the fact that in 2016, we expect nearly 2,000 refugees will be welcomed into Colorado. And according to the Trends Report, some 419 refugees became permanent legal residents of Boulder County between 2003 and 2013. Boulder's then-mayor, Susan Jones, noted... We have inclusivity aspirations that we are working to live up to. The Boulder City Council then continued, uh, let's see, the Boulder City Council continued to hold votes to allow even more Syrian refugees to take up permanent residence in the city and a declaration regarding inclusivity for the refugees and other disenfranchised populations. Because don't you know we're woke? Even after the founder of Boulder's largest Syrian Refugees' clarity pleaded guilty to felony charges of, of embezzling more than $130,000 from his own organization in 2018. The city continued to push for racial change. Articles lamented the city's crushingly white majority population, and liberal activists expressed horror about the city's relatively small portion of proportion of foreign-born residents. In 2019, residents engaged in an anti-racism training provided by anti-white Black Lives Matter activists. Most recently, students at the University of Colorado Boulder were invited to take part in a webinar, webinar titled Difficult Dialogues, Unpacking Whiteness, What It Means to Say That CU Boulder Is So White. The man who murdered 10 people inside the Boulder King Super Shopper Store this week, Syrian born Muslim Ahmad al-Issa, frequently complained about white people and threatened fake hate crimes against those he did not like. All of his victims were white. That's why it's dumb to be a Democrat socialist. That's why if you're woke, it's a joke. And, it's, and, they, and guess what? They made that happen. They created the environment because they believed the liberal communist ideology that's intended to destroy America. And guess what it did? It destroyed Boulder, Colorado. Congratulations. You fell for it. Hook, line, and sinker. That's what college community towns are all about, right? Destruction. Yeah. And then they, and then they want to blame him because he has a gun. They want to take your gun away, right? They want to take your gun away. 
Yeah, well, Senator Ted Cruz, and I, I mean, I featured him at the start, and I'm going to feature him again in this video because he did a great job of sticking their gun ban ideas right back in their ear. Listen what Ted Cruz had to say when that when that Democrat communist tried to talk about another gun ban, about, you know, assault weapons, don't you know? Senator from Connecticut just said, it's time for us to do something. I agree. It is time for us to do something. And every time there's a shooting, we play this ridiculous theater where this committee gets together and proposes a bunch of laws that would do nothing to stop these murders. Senator from Connecticut just said the folks on the other side of the aisle have no solutions. Well, the senator from Connecticut knows that is false. And he knows that's false because Senator Grassley and I together introduced legislation, Grassley-Cruz, targeted at violent criminals, targeted at felons, targeted at fugitives, targeted at those with serious mental disease to stop them from getting firearms, to put them in prison when they try to illegally buy guns. What happens in this committee after every mass shooting is Democrats propose taking away guns from law-abiding citizens, because that's their political objective. But what they propose, not only does it not reduce crime, it makes it worse. The jurisdictions in this country with the strictest gun control have among the highest rates of crime and murder. When you disarm law-abiding citizens, you make them more likely to be victims. If you want to stop these murders, go after the murderers. You can't say it any straighter than that, right? You want to stop these murderers? Go after the murderers. Don't go after the people who use their guns to stop the murderers, to defend themselves, right? Maybe if there was concealed carry in that Colorado shopping center, that guy wouldn't have killed 10 people. He might have been stopped, but he wasn't stopped because of the stupidity of the Democrat communist ideologues who are trying to destroy our country with nonsense, with things that are just foolish and stupid. So I have a lot of people saying to me that when are we going to do something and we're not doing enough and all that. And I, and I understand your frustration and, and I'm bothered by all of our situation. You can see it in my voice. You know, you can hear it in my voice. You know that I'm as frustrated as you are. But we're trying to make good decisions here. And, and, I, and so let's just talk for a second about election fraud, okay? And everybody's, you know, we saw, opened a show with H.R. 1 and what a threat that is to us. But this week, Georgia governor signed a sweeping election reform bill that will expand early voting and make IDs required for absentee ballots. This bill was what Joe... You know, uh, the phony President Biden, with a fake president, was complaining about in his State of the Union speech, or his press conference, I'm sorry. He hasn't done a State of the Union yet, because he can't talk for 40 minutes without looking like a fool, okay? But in Georgia, they've taken really strict action now, okay? They're getting rid of the ballot harvesting. They've taken the Secretary of State, who basically signed that horrific uh, consent agreement with Stacey Abrams that helped them cheat and steal the Georgia elections. They've now taken the, the election law away from the Secretary of State and put it in the hands of the legislature. The legislature in Georgia now will get to appoint the people who head the state elections commission. And they can fire anyone in a county who's an election chief that they feel is doing something wrong. This is a sweeping bill, but this isn't the only place. There, and what Joe Biden is so upset about and why they're pressing so far hard for H.R. 1 
is because there are 243 laws in 43 states right now being voted on and passed to stop what happened this last year. 243 bills, folks. Now, if you go to wethepeopleconvention.org on the buttons on the front page, I have a one that says, here's you know, a button that says, you know, check out the voter fraud the stories. I update that. We try to update it every day because there's important information happening every day. What's happening in Maricopa County is really important. Okay, what's going on in Georgia? They are they got a judge ruled that they can use that Joven uh, uh, Pulitzer to do a forensic audit of ballots in New Hampshire. They're looking at ballots. Wisconsin is blowing up now with this this story we've been talking about for two weeks, where they let this Democratic operative from Zuckerberg's organization have the keys to the room and help cure ballots. There's fight being fought all over this country, and we're fighting it. You and I, we're fighting it. So don't tell me we're not fighting. I'm proud of the effort we're doing. We didn't do the wrong things. We did the right things last year. We elected Donald Trump. We weren't running the operation. Just should have kept them from cheating. We had the right idea when we told the president he should declare limited temporary martial law and have the military oversee a revote of the federal election. That was the right thing to do. He didn't call out the military, but Joe Biden did. They're willing to do whatever it takes to win. You and I, the American people, are the same. It's our quote-unquote leaders who aren't. That's our problem. And so we're back to the beginning of the show, right? We're back to you know, uh, this, you know House Bill 1 and the filibuster. And I asked you to call Manchin. And I asked you to call uh, the, the woman from Arizona, Sinian, Sinarin, S-I-N-A-R-N. Manchin's phone number again is 202-224-3954. And Sinanin's number is 202-224-4521. It's important. You've got to call every Republican senator and say, you must not let this pass. The future of the country depends on it. Period. I think they get it. Lindsey Graham said he will talk until he drops if they make him to continue the filibuster. So they're getting it, but we need to support the people we're fighting and we need to push the people who aren't fighting. And we need to do our job to protect and defend our individual freedom, liberty, and prosperity. That's what we need to do. And, I, and I'm really proud of the work you've been doing on this, you know, the 1619 project and all that kind of stuff. You know, I've been getting emails from you. You've been getting information. You've been finding out if they're teaching this horrible stuff in your schools, in your community. And then, you, you know, we're going to talk about how do we fight them by, by defeating levies, defunding them, publicly shaming the people who are teaching our kids to hate our country. I hope that you are contacting your governor and your state legislators about doing what DeSantis is doing in, in uh, Florida. That's where he said, I showed, played the video last week, there will be no critical race theory 1619 project taught in our schools. It's up to us to get that done. And I know you're working hard and I know you're doing it. And that's all I can ask. Each of us must do everything we can. Those one-on-one -on -one battles. It's not, people say to me all the time, I wish I could do more. And I always say to them, don't ever say that. Just do something. 
because millions of us doing something moves mountains. We're the fire ants, remember? We're the fire ants. Just move your little grain of sand. Just fight the culture war one-on-one. -on -one. Call the real racist racist. When they call you a racist, don't cower and, and, and back off. Stand up and say, how dare you, you anti-white racist. You, you, you are a person who judges people by the color of their skin, which they have no choice over. How dare you? You un-American communist, challenge them. Don't back down. Be strong. Because that's what Americans are. We're strong. We're not victims. We're heroes. That's what's made us different. Be a hero. Never be a victim. Never be a victim. All right, we're going to wrap up the show. Uh, again, I thank you for the stories that you send. Many of these stories come from you. Write to me at info at wethepeopleconvention.org. More importantly, please tell more people about the podcast. Um, you know, our numbers were down the last couple of weeks. I know people are getting, you know, frustrated and disappointed, but you can't shut it off. You need to know the truth. You need to know where the fight is. Share this podcast with someone. Sit down and watch it with them. Make sure you, you get them to sign up for our emails and, and text messages. It's important. It's up to us. I had a discussion with a good friend this week, and I said, listen, no one's going to save us. Not Trump, not the, the Republicans, not the Republican Party. The American people have always had to save the American people. The American people have always had to save the world. That's what's going to happen here. Don't look to anybody else. There's nobody else to look to. Whether it was World War I or World War II or Vietnam or the Cold War, or Afghanistan, we are the ones that have to pay the price of freedom. We have millions, one million of us have paid their lives. So you and I can have this conversation. So we can still fight. As I said many times, I'm, I'm Polish, Tom Zawistowski. I think about Lech Walesa and solidarity. They were under communist rule for 30 years, and they still believe they could be free. And today, Poland is one of America's great allies and is free. They had tanks parked in their city town squares. They had soldiers at every corner with guns, and still they resisted and they fought. We don't have that yet. Close. I'm not against the fencing that they have in Washington, D.C. I just think the soldiers should be on the other side of it. Because the criminals are inside the fence, not outside. All right. Keep a sense of humor. Keep up the fight. Be happy warriors. Believe you're going to win. I believe I'll be able to do a podcast next week. I'm not sure after that because of the surgery schedule I might have. But I think I'll be able to do one on Easter weekend. So I'll look forward to talking with you again then. Thanks again for tuning in. I greatly appreciate it. And, uh, you know, like I said, never give up hope. Never stop fighting. It ain't over till we say it's over. Have a good week.